It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Monday. Good afternoon, everyone, from our studios in Southern California. Time for Hacksaw's Headlines bonus coverage with our podcast up and down the West Coast. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to the day after March Madness. We have so much to cover. John, we got basketball. We'll be shooting three-pointers, and we won't miss. We got NFL football. We got News and notes and Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit. you got a lot of topics on the table. Have you recovered from the great sports weekend? It's been awesome. And today is the first day of spring and spring hope eternal because of spring training. But March is a great month. You know, this is the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. We're getting down to the Sweet 16. I mean, it's a great time to be a sports fan. All right. You want to start with hoops. Hoops. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about the Aztecs and the Bruins, man. They, they both got to the Sweet 16, Southern California fans have got to be really fired up. Okay. Full disclosure before we start. Your brackets. Oh, my, my brackets God. in the garbage can. Oh, jeez. We did a research piece. <laughs> the only one that's got a bracket that's still in play is our executive producer, Nona, the black, barking black <laughs> Labrador retriever, because that dog picked all the underdogs, and the underdogs are now going <laughs> exactly. to the Sweet 16. Okay. Point of reference. I was yelling at the TV before the first game ever started last Thursday. Aztecs, College of Charleston. Just think about this. On your TV screen, from left to right, Greg Gumbel, Clark Kellogg, Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley. They get to the San Diego State College of Charleston game, which is about to tip off on CBS, and they started to talk. Not one sentence, not one mention, not one word, not one storyline involving San Diego State. All four of those guys spent the entire 90 seconds previewing <laughs> College of Charleston, the coach, the three-point shooters in the university. Rodney Dangerfield would have had a field day with these characters. Mm-hmm. No, dis- no respect at all. How is that humanly possible that four smart guys covering college basketball— Pay no attention to the guys out here on the left coast and what San Diego State did in metrics, what it did against a really high-powered schedule, what it did with its defense. Now, one guy had one word to say about San Diego State. It was all about COC. That was on Thursday. I was barking at the TV and the game hadn't even started. Refs had made their first bad call. (laughs) By the time they got to Saturday, all four guys on the set, all they were talking about was the red and black. Like, where do these guys come from? How do they get so good? Just absolutely amazing. Just absolutely stunned me. Okay, let's talk about the Aztecs' victory. Vice grip defense. That's a pretty good description of what San Diego State's defense did to College of Charleston and then what they did to the Furman Paladins. Think about this. College of Charleston was averaging 80 per game, averaging 10 three-point baskets made per game, 30 three-point shots per game. When San Diego State was done with those guys, COC shot 30% from the floor, 29% from the arc, and got killed. Then the Furman game, same storyline. Paladins, lighten people up with the three-point shots, not intimidated, da-da-da-da. End result, 
San Diego State held them to 30% shooting, 29% from the arc. Paladins went 11 and a half minutes without a basket. Wow. Furman <laughs> went 14 straight possessions without a basket. San Diego State's bigs had 44 rebounds in the game. They were absolutely phenomenal. Aztecs move on to the Sweet 16. And by the way, another point of reference, if we go back to early November when the college basketball season started, this host in this chair made this statement, potential to be Sweet 16. Where are the Aztecs going? Sweet 16, Louisville, Friday against Alabama. (laughs) Here's the podium. It belongs to you. Am I right? I am right. I am bleeping brilliant. Go ahead. Yeah, you're bleeping brilliant. You you said they were Sweet 16. You said this was a 30-win team. But then you also called them a Jekyll and Hyde team, a team that you couldn't figure out. And the greatest thing about what's happening with the Aztecs is that it's always someone new. It's a different guy every time. The last game was Parrish, had a great game. Um, Suddenly, uh, Darion Trammell found the hot stroke. You know, he was playing well. It's incredible. But to your point on those uh, announcers, I think a lot of them, they're the East Coast bias. I mean, you know, Charles Barkley doesn't know anything about the Aztecs. I mean, he probably didn't know anything about them until he saw them playing in that game against Furman. And that's when he made that statement. It's like a bunch of college kids playing grown men. Um, the only ones that seem to be on that crew that know much about the Aztecs are, are guys like Wally Zerbiak or John Rothstein that have been part of that CBS Sports Network package. So now America's waking up to what Brian Dutcher is doing, and the Aztecs are in the limelight for a bit. 29-7, and seven, they're going to go play Alabama. Let's talk about UCLA. They have survived at this point the loss of Jalen Clark, their top defender, Pac-12 defender of the year in the conference. They're shooting the ball. They're stroking the ball. they got a bunch of guys contributing. What they have to do is they have to make sure they distribute the ball so that UCLA's offense is just not Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell. Although Jaquez had 24 points in their win to get him to the Sweet 16. And Tiger went to the free throw line and dude went 12 for 12, which is absolutely amazing. And the freshman that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Amir Bailey, they got to get him more into the touch rotation so he can take more shots. He had 14 points in this game, 18 points the game before. And UCLA just continues to bang on you. They wear you out because they make every possession hard. And they grind on you when they have the basketball at the other end working to get a good shot. This is a pretty good basketball team. But 31-5. and five. And what's ahead right there in the spotlight? <laughs> Gonzaga, uh, and Drew Timmy is carrying that team. Well, he's got pretty good support talent. Mark Few is just one of the brilliant coaches in the country that, again, I don't think a heck of a lot of people nationwide pay much attention to what's going on in Spokane. But tell you what, UCLA versus the Zags, that's going to be a good game. Yeah, that's going to be all right. So, But as far as UCLA goes, I mean, they've been giving a lot of shout-outs to, to Jalen Clark. You know, he's been injured. They're calling him the best defender in the Pac-12, maybe the best lockdown defender in the entire nation. And he's not going to be there. So it makes you wonder, are the Bruins going to have all their pieces? You know, when they're missing a few, are they still going to be competitive? It's going to be an enormous challenge. Now, they're not going to go against a Gonzaga team that's huge. There's not a bunch of seven-footers across the line or guys that jump through the roof. So, you know, they legitimately have a chance. And I, I do think this game will be 
like bone on bone. I think it's going to be a really rugged game. There'll be lots of fouls. I think it's just going to be a hard game to watch because there'll be a lot of starts, stops, and spurts. One other game in the Sweet 16 that just fascinates me no end is going to be that loudmouth from Little Rock and Fayetteville <laughs> talking about Eric Musselman, yeah. Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Against the brute strength of all those European and African recruits at Georgetown, or uh, that uh, UConn has, mm-hmm. Arkansas, UConn, holy cow! Take no prisoners there. That's going to be an interesting game. That's probably the other really marquee game that I'm really looking for when we get to Thursday for the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, I have this love-hate relationship with Eric Musselman, but how about him, like, after the game, getting up on the table, taking his shirt off and flipping it around, and you're like, on one level, you're like, okay, dude's fired up, but on the other hand, you know, like Brian Dutcher says, I, I take no um, you know, personal credit for this, it's all about the kids, and, and Musselman is the exact opposite, but I'll still be rooting for him, because if nothing else, the, his team is entertaining. Well, they are entertaining and they're going to play big boys and UConn that's big boy basketball you talk about revitalization of a program okay on we go to the second topic on the table talking hoops yeah more of these upsets I mean in Princeton one we had the number 16 uh was it Fairly Farley Dickinson Farley Dickinson yeah they won I mean mean, Princeton heck because they're in the sweet 16 this tournament has been amazing you know my Final four that I had in my bracket, three of the four are gone because of all of these upsets. So let's break it down. Number one gone, number one gone, two number twos gone, two number threes out. Just amazing. <laughs> I, 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 I tried to think through this question that you posed. The landscape of March Madness has changed from a couple different directions. And just follow me on this. Item one. Everybody has got three-point shooters now in college basketball. There's so many great young kids who come from the high school ranks into the collegiate ranks who can shoot long distance. The three is the great equalizer in the game. You may not have a 15-man roster that can go to war. You might not have the bigs. Maybe you don't even have as many athletes as you need. But if you got threes, guys who can put it in the hole from... The next area code, it'll keep you in games. And I think I think that's one of the unique things what March Madness has become. There's a lot of guys who can shoot threes. Secondly, transfer portal. I think everybody's got players now. The great kids that went to the Power 5 schools that didn't crack a starting lineup, now have the opinion, if I'm not playing, I'm not staying. Mm-hmm. And they're transferring. And they're going to places all over the planet so they get the chance to show their wares and play a lot of basketball. That's why we got March Madness the way it is with so many bottom feeders beating the top-rated teams. So I, I think the transfer portal has really impacted uh, college basketball and March Madness. Thirdly, the one-and-done era, at least for right now, is off the table. Remember last five years or so, the tournament was always marquee, individual players, 18 and 19-year-old freshmen, one and done, playing as soon as the tournament's over, dropping out of school, filing for the draft. What's changed there, John, the new COVID rule, the extra year of eligibility for all the kids impacted by COVID and all the programs impacted by COVID. You look at the makeup of a lot of these teams, there are fifth and sixth-year guys which means these teams are now built around and molded around veteran players who got all this experience that are making a huge difference. That's a piece of the equation. And the final item I'll mention, 
I think the concept of college basketball, John, has drastically changed. You look at the makeup of rosters. You watch the games Thursday, Friday in the Sweet 16. There are power players who've come from Europe who play immediately. An enormous number of big men who have now come from programs in Africa who have gone through prep schools that have landed in Division One programs. I think the makeup of college basketball has really been accelerated because of the arrival of, I call them the Dirk Nowitzki types from Europe, <laughs> and obviously the massive great big men that have now come through the prep schools from Africa that are playing college hoops. It's a very different game, a lot more quality teams, and it's a different era because I think COVID has, has impacted the game and given everybody an extra year of eligibility. My thoughts, yours. Yeah, this that's an interesting take, particularly about the international influence. I mean, Nathan Mensa would, would be one of those guys. Donna. And then um, what was the Marshall Lonis? Isn't one of his kids playing on one of the teams, mm-hmm. I think, as well? So, uh, But to, to your other point about the one and dones, I always think one and done, I think of Kentucky. And Kentucky, they're out, you know? Yeah. And all the, a lot of the Blue Bloods are out. Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, none of them made the Sweet 16. And now we've got programs like San Diego State that are there and Florida Atlantic. And there's a number of others that we can list. But take a program, though, like Princeton. I mean, how do they make it? I mean, is it international or is they just outsmarting everyone on the court? Well, smarts has got something to do with it, but they got good three-point shooters. There you go. And they have no fear. Now, they don't have seven-footers running around there, but they got a bunch of bangers at 6'6 and 6'8 who just crash the boards and play defense at the other end and force turnovers. And so, I mean, it's unique what Princeton has done, back-to-back wins. I mean, we were excited, Farley Dickinson. Wow, how's that possible? Then they met their fate, and Princeton just continues to hang tough with them. So for this this short window of time, and maybe it'll revert back to one-on-ones when the COVID experience uh, Inspiration thing happens, but right now it's it's just a very very different game, and I I think the intangible about the Euros and the African players, I think that's really changed the scope of basketball because those guys are going everywhere. Yeah, I think it's made the sport better because college basketball was so terrific in the eighties and nineties, and then we had the one and duns, and it was like a free agent merry go round. But now these programs they're being built, they've got guys that are sticking around, and now that you're right, the landscape has changed, and it's good for teams in the Mountain West. To they'll have a shot now. Okay, on we go. Let's talk about the coaching carousel because we got hirings and firings and we got a bidding war. Yeah. Rick Patino, man, he's in the news again. I mean, you've been talking about how his last year here at Iona, he was going to be, you know, the hot guy on the market. Did he just signed today? Well, the storylines, there's there's two places on the map to pay attention to in the storylines. One is obviously in New York, St. John's University was open. The other was Washington, DC, where Georgetown removed Patrick Ewing. Most everybody was of the opinion Patino was going to land at Georgetown pretty quickly. Well, he finished with Iona two years in a row. He got him into the tournament. They're not big enough, tough enough, deep enough to be able to hold up to be a Sweet 16 or Elite 8 any longer. Uh, He exited on Monday. Uh, Rick Patino went to New York to meet with St. John's, then was scheduled to go from there to D.C. to meet with Georgetown. He never got on the plane. New York signed him, St. John's, Redmond, six-year contract. 
uh, to stay at St. John's. They've been down for a long period of time. They tried a wide variety of guys as head coach to replace the legendary, the late Lou Carnesecca, who had done fabulous things in the Big Apple for decades upon decades. Patino takes his resume to St. John's, signs with them. Uh, he's going to inherit a program that's way down. You know, they, they had tried Chris Mullen, the former NBA player, former St. John's star to come home, be head coach. Didn't work there like it didn't work for Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. But while he was there, then Georgetown made a quick decision and they went into the marketplace and they hired Providence College's head coach, Ed Cooley. Hmm. Uh, not, not a national name, but did a really good job in the Big East Conference for the Providence Friars. And they, they are not rich. They're not, they don't have NILs to the magnitude that other schools do. And yet he's been able to build a really good program. And they think they got somebody that's a proven commodity. I think both of these could be bonanza jobs just because of where they're located. But, you know, this is Patino, age 70. Uh, he's got two rings. He's been to the Final Four seven times. He's led three different schools to the Final Four. I mean, think about his career. Providence, long-run Kentucky, longer-run Louisville, and then obviously there's some NCAA baggage. It's got his name tag on it, which is why he got fired. And then he winds up at Iona, and he just duplicates it again and builds another really good program. So he will go in. He will hit the floor running. I guarantee you there will be some really unique kids playing for him at St. John's. And obviously, I mean, we're talking about a Hall of Fame coach. His career record is 834 and 293. A wow. phenomenal wow. career record in college basketball. Also, he had cups of coffee in the NBA with the Boston Celtics and the New York Knicks. But he's he's a lifer. And Cooley goes uh, from Providence. He goes to Georgetown. His record with, with no resources and no assets at Providence, he was 242 and 153. That's a pretty good head coach. So two marquee names snapped up just like that. Well, it's interesting that this New York City, the city of New York, they have very few basketball programs that have been successful. I mean, you know, the, the city of brotherly love down the road, they have like four big time college programs and all of them have been successful to varying degrees. Yeah. Led by Villanova and Temple. Yeah, exactly. So, but in New York, I mean, what other universities are in New York City that have really made an impact in college basketball? I know St. John's, but what else? Nothing. Uh, they used to be a mecca of college basketball way back, way back in the 1950s. And they were done in by the terrible betting scandals. City College of New York, Brooklyn College just decimated it. You know, before before March Madness ever came, before the NCAA tournament ever, ever came, before Dick Vitale and Billy Packer ever came, the mecca of college basketball was the NIT, Madison Square Garden. And those New York teams dominated from the 40s into the 50s into the 60s. But then the betting scandals, the point-shaving scandals, notably at City College of New York, just absolutely destroyed the, the game, destroyed the programs. St. John's was not part of that, but they were the one that was left behind. But what, what happened at St. John's, New York basketball had a renaissance with the arrival of the Big East Conference. And that Big East mm -hmm. Conference was obviously John Thompson at Georgetown and the just-retired Jim Beheim at Syracuse. And then you add in uh, the coaches at Providence College and then what Jim Calhoun did at UConn. I mean, the Big East became as elite as you could have in college basketball for a long period of time. And then that conference kind of its life went away when some of the schools said, hey, we're football schools, we're going to go to the Atlantic Coast Conference. And it really, it really hurt the conference. But 
you know, basketball in New York is going to have a real different flavor to it because of that guy, Rick Pitino. Yeah, and I'm sure the New York basketball fans are thrilled that to, to be able to put one of their teams on the map. If Pitino has taken three teams to the Final Four, how about a fourth team to the Final Four? On we go. Let's talk NBA basketball for just a minute. This is really bad news. Yeah, I mean, Lonzo Ball is just this really great talent, and he, he's just going to have another injury. I mean, what happened here, Lee? Well, this is Lonzo Ball Lakers, Lonzo Ball New Orleans Pelicans, now Lonzo Ball not playing for the Chicago Bulls. He suffered significant meniscus knee damage, uh, underwent surgery. First surgery didn't clear it all up. He had all types of problems with, quote, debris in the knee. He had rehabbed and rehabbed and rehabbed, and he just couldn't get beyond the pain. So they went back in and did a debridement surgical procedure, second operation, did more rehab, went back Within the last six weeks, started to practice again. Couldn't couldn't run, couldn't cut without pain. Now they've decided to go back in and do a third procedure in, in a 14-month window. I mean, that's a lot of invasive surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to try to do what they call a cartilage transplant. And I, I cut medical school the day they taught it at Ohio <laughs> University, so I can't quite <laughs> talk about it. But uh, it's a rare exploratory procedure. I don't know what the success ratio of it is. You'd hate to think at his age that his career might really be in jeopardy, but he's he's not played in more than two seasons, and he just keeps having all these setbacks. And of course, he was one of the three Ball brothers. Uh, the, the the middle one has done very well in Charlotte with the Hornets. Now, he just underwent reconstructive ankle surgery, so he's gone for the season. The third kid is playing uh, in the NBA G League. So, a real tough break for a player who, you know, he came in with a lot of glitter having left UCLA and came into the NBA and everybody thought superstardom, or at least if you listen to his father, yeah, you thought superstardom. Um, that guy. Speaking of parents from hell. Uh, but, you know, he's just had nothing but bad luck in the last two and a half years. So we hope it works. But, you know. These things do happen where guys break down and they can't repair the damage done. Well, doesn't it feel a little bit like what Derrick Rose went through with the Bulls? Because he had all those knee problems. And so the Bulls just have never been able to kind of, you know, restart that program after the Jordan year. I mean, they've been kind of in the bottom half. But, you know, Lonzo Ball, always, yeah, his dad was just ridiculous. I mean, he was on The Tonight Show and he just tried to make it a spectacle about him. But, you know, Lonzo Ball is an interesting character because you ever see his shot? I mean, the ball rotates in like crazy ways, but he's still got the job done. He's still a great talent. Hopefully this kid can get his uh, career back on track. He's averaging 15 points a game before he went down over the course of his career. But boy, this injury factors. I mean, once once you damage your wheels and he's so young, I don't even know that he's 26 yet. He's so young to have damaged wheels, and now he's having the third surgery in 14 Mm. months. That's not good. Hey, next topic on the table in a minute. We're going to talk Major League Baseball. But, John, for the people watching us on our live stream, explain to them about Fans Forum and subscribing to all the unique things we do with our bonus coverage podcasts. Yeah, sure. So uh, you can get involved in Fans Forum. If you got a question, a comment, a hot take for Hacksaw, just drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment. That'll be at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. And a reminder, if you like sports, you'll like my website. It's all written. You need to take five minutes to find out what's going on in sports. Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You'll find a ton 
of written information. And of course, you'll also find the ability to link to our podcast also. And by the way, when you dabble on our website or dabble with our podcast and you give us views, give us a thumbs up. That'll help us uh, with the people that uh, run YouTube. Okay, we move on. Let's talk Major League Baseball. You're sure you want to talk about this topic? Oh, I, I mean, I saw the video highlights of when Austin Nola got hit, and that was scary. Um, and then there's been other breaking news with the Padres. So let's go there. Okay, let's talk Padre baseball. We are now two weeks out from the start of the Major League season, and there are question marks a lot of different places. The, the Obviously, the Austin Nola injury getting beaned in the face with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball has to be a real concern. A very, very severe broken nose. They had a terrible time stopping the bleeding. Uh, I, I, the intangible thing that I worry about is concussions because he took it square in the face. He never had a chance to get out. It luckily it deflected a little bit off the flap, but right into the nose. Uh, we're waiting for a medical update, probably in the middle of the week, as to where he is. But I assume he goes on the disabled list for a chunk of time. Uh, it means the Padres are going to have to turn the catching deal over to the young kid, Luis Campusano. Uh, you know, he's had cups of coffee with the Padres. I don't think mechanically he's a complete major league catcher yet. He's going to have to really learn on the job. And, of course, the other thing with catchers, they got to control the game. They got to call the game. They got to deal with the pitchers. Campusano has not had a ton of major league experience doing that. Uh, Pedro Severino, the ex-Oriole, will probably be the backup catcher. Geez, at this point now... Do you think they miss Jorge Alfaro? Do you think they wish they had not traded Austin Hedges? I mean, you you really need a leader and a tremendous guy to run the game from behind home plate. So that's an issue. The Juan Soto situation, uh, he has been red hot. Uh, Soto just had a phenomenal spring with the Padres and then with the WBC. Then in an inter-squad game on Sunday... He comes out of the game with an oblique injury. Now, they're calling it a minor oblique injury. John, you have to understand the power of his swing and the torque on his body in the ribcage. I don't think there's anything as a minor oblique injury. These things take time. It's not like he can have it on Sunday and be able to go to the batting practice cage on Wednesday and be ready for opening day. This takes time, and we don't know the severity of it. And and as he gets ready, you know, for the start of the season— you're talking about full power swings. You're talking about the force you put on the body. And if you got an oblique injury and you damage it more, that's horrendous news. I mean, I, uh, I've followed players who've had minor, minor oblique problems. They were gone 10 days. I've followed players who've had it gone four months. Mm. So only time will tell how they handle this. And I think, you know, they know and they have to be scared about that situation. The pitching staff. Uh, I uh, there's been a lot written out of the Cactus League about the fact. Well, you Darvish has hardly pitched at all for Team Japan in the World Baseball Classic. You think he's ready to take the ball on opening day for the Padres against the Rockies and deliver vintage you Darvish? Media guys covering the Padres say we're really concerned. They they're concerned. I don't know. You Darvish knows the science of pitching, knows the science of preparation. Even though he may have only pitched four innings in the WBC so far, I still think 
his preparation has been his preparation. I think he'll be ready to start on opening day. So I, I, I think that's much ado about nothing. The Joe Musgrove story is something about something because they have brought him back from the Cactus League. They've done a research piece with video on his mechanics. You and I talked about when he first got hurt, the mm-hmm. scariest thing, coming back from a toe injury for a major league pitcher. Does he favor the injury? Does he change his mechanics so he doesn't aggravate the injury, but he hurts something else? They're trying to do a study there. Uh, Bob Melvin is of the opinion now that even though Musgrove has been throwing bullpens, and bullpens is really different than throwing max effort opening day, Musgrove's going to miss at least two starts. The Adrian Morion situation, it's scary. Uh, He's got inflammation in the elbow joint. He does not have a torn elbow ligament, but within the elbow joint, Again, we go back to my word, max effort. When you're pitching max effort, you're putting a lot of stress on that elbow. Uh, I don't know if he's had a cortisone shot yet. If he does have any type of injection, then we're talking at least two weeks shutdown. Then he starts the throwing program again. I would think Morion might wind up on the injured list uh, to start the season. And we're dealing with typical Blake Snell. We have a good outing, and then we have an outing in which in the spring training, he gives up seven runs in three innings. You know, he might be your opening day starter. And do we know which Blake Snell is going to show up? The guy that had the horrid first half of the season, the guy that was pretty doggone dominant the second half of the season. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of storylines here 14 days out uh, from the end of spring training. And I don't think the Padres have had a really great spring training, but that's because their roster has been chopped up by all the guys that went to play uh, in, in the World Baseball Classic. The batting order in the last 10 days of the Cactus League will be their batting order, maybe without Juan Soto. I still think they're going to be a really good hitting team, but I'm concerned about the pitching situation, and obviously you got to handle the Soto thing with kid gloves. Yeah, and this is uh, really difficult right now. You know, we have all this hope, all this excitement, and now all of a sudden, one by one, we're losing guys here and there. Um, but we always know with pitching, you just need a lot of arms, right? You're never going to have a five- or a six-man rotation. You're going to depend on eight or nine guys to get you through the year. But I'm going back to that Austin Nola hit in the face. I mean, that was brutal. Um, and some guys, they don't come back from that. I remember Tony Conigliero. I mean, there's we been had a, eye damage. Yeah, well, it was much more severe. But, you know, guys get hit like that. It kind of spooks them. And it may, like, kind of affect their confidence in the box. So I'm worried for Austin. I'm hoping he's, it's not going to be as bad as it looked. But uh, that's, that's not something to take lightly. Well, the concussion factor from the location where he got hit, That really worries me because that was such a forceful blow. And I guess to a degree he's lucky he did not shatter the orbital bones or he didn't break his jaw. Yeah. Now, you can can devise a mask that some catchers wear and goalies wear it in the National Hockey League that protects those areas that have been injured. But you're you're correct about the word gun-shy, I think, is the word that you're looking to use as it relates to NOLA, so we'll see there. On we go. Let's talk about whether this is a good idea or a bad idea, the World <laughs> Baseball Classic. Yeah, we debated about what other ways to construct this, but it's been a really entertaining event, but there's been all kinds of controversy, drama, storylines with all these injuries. Well, it all obviously started with the team there, the New York Mets, losing their ace, uh, Edwin Diaz, their relief ace, gone for the year. Uh, ruptured patella tendon in the knee, jumping up and down and just landed on his foot wrong and they blew the knee out. So the Mets have lost the ace of their bullpen. And then Jose Altuve, superstar Houston Astros, 
cracked on the hand with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, fractured thumb, surgery coming. That's going to be months on the disabled list for him. Scary story, Nolan Arenado, Team USA, St. Louis Cardinals superstar, potential Hall of Famer. He goes down. He gets hurt running the bases. Uh, They did an x-ray. They don't think it's anything serious, but... Scary moment there. And then, you, and then you got the whole wear and tear factor of these pitchers in the WBC max effort. The Dodgers have ordered Julio Urias off the Mexican roster. Hmm. And he had pitched four almost perfect innings in his first start, got shelled in the fifth, fifth inning, came back next outing, got banged around again. And again, he was max efforting. Uh, so he is not on the Mexican roster for the Monday night semifinal game, Mexico-Japan. It's going to be electric. So the injury factor here has to be taken into consideration. This is the first time in the history of the WBC we've had these marquee names uh, get hurt. I'll spin back to what you and I argued about last week. I was right. You were wrong. Uh, I just I would like to see the structure of the WBC changed. I'd like to see him play it in All-Star Week, compact the teams, have Team USA, have Team Mexico, have Team Latin America, which would be unbelievable, Dominican and Puerto Rico and Venezuela, have a Pacific Rim team with Japan, Taiwan, South Korea. I mean, look at those four and play it All-Star Week, and it'd become a mega event. And then obviously you'd have the All-Star game at the end of the week. And the key thing is, everybody wants to play for their flag. And you look at the everyday lineups, Team USA's lineup is superb. But you'd have all the pitchers who'd be in mid-season form ready to pitch in the true World Baseball Classic. With apologies to Italy, Italy and Colombia and the <laughs> Netherlands, I'd... We don't need to have your team in the WBC because your team is not really a, a major league team. It's made up of minor leaguers and guys who are retired, and I don't think that's good for the game. But that's where we are. Uh, should the WBC rethink the timing of the games because of what just happened with the injuries? Yeah, I think it should. I, I like your idea of doing it during the uh, All-Star Week. Now, I, I don't like the idea of consolidating the teams, but I do love the idea of doing it in the middle of the year. To, to your point, these pitchers are still kind of ramping up. You know, they're, They'd be on innings limits if they were in spring training. But it is interesting as you can point to these cases like Diaz and Altuve and say, see, the WBC is what the problem is. But, you know, guys like Soto get hurt with an oblique in the backfields in Peoria. I mean, they can get injured anywhere. Um, but, yeah, th- this this uh, event itself, I really like it. Um, I do agree it needs to be rethought. Um, I didn't know about the Arenado injury. I mean, that hopefully that's not going to be too severe. But, you know, there's really only, what, a semifinal and a final left, and then everyone will be coming home. But what is your take on um, Nick Martinez? You know, I mean, he was pitching for Team USA, and they sent him back, or at least they told him he, was, they, he wasn't needed anymore. Now he's back with the Padres, and with all these injuries, you think Team USA could probably still use him. I would think so. I was kind of surprised the way that that ha- happened. I don't know whether it was USA telling Nick, you're not going to pitch, or Nick telling them, if I'm not going to pitch, I'm going home and get ready. He was ahead of the curve. He came to spring training in phenomenal shape because his mindset was, I am going to pitch for the flag uh, in the WBC. And he had one good outing, and then he got got banged around in the next one, and the next he's back here. Uh, He would have been a part-time long reliever 
uh, in the semifinals or if they got to the finals, but he's elected to come back here. So he'll be ready for opening day in San Diego. I, I just think, could you imagine a WBC with all the superstars, all the bats, and then you add into it a midseason guy in great shape like Scherzer, Justin <laughs> Verlander, mm-hmm. pitching for Team USA against Cor- Corbin Otani. Burns. I mean, there's so many great pitchers. Yeah, and you got Otani, and you got Hugh Darvish. Yeah. I mean, my concept would be pretty good baseball. Yeah, I agree. One more baseball question here before we uh, get to another break. Okay, so let's take a look at yeah, Team USA. Man, th- th- it was crazy watching that game. The first inning, you got Wainwright pitching, and they get in all these little dinkers and infield hits, and then boy, Trey Turner came through at the end, and now the 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 Americans are in the final. Well, Trey Turner has had himself back to back big nights. You know, had the Grand Slam home run that won the game against Venezuela, and then they come back and they just they bomb Cuba. But that that's typical of the problem with the WBC. The limitations on the pitchers. It's huge. It's a huge problem. In innings limits, pitch count limits. And by the way, who are the pitchers on some of these teams you've never heard of? And they're supposed to be going against the Arenados and the Team USA batting order of Mookie Betts and his buddies. So that that's an issue. But uh, Team USA has rocked and rolled into it. And they're in the finals and they'll meet the winner of the Monday night Japan-Mexico game. But now Mexico's not the same team because Urias has been taken off the El Tree mm-hmm. roster. We'll see where it goes. One other baseball note here we've been talking about. Yeah, so the the, the last one here, well, yeah, you, the WBC, Mexico-Japan. I mean, that's tonight, isn't it? Monday night. Yeah, so here we go. This is going to be a great game. Yeah, and you've got the hottest young Japanese pitcher, Ryoki Suzuki, who's 21 years of old and will be in the major leagues when he's 24 or 25. He's going to start against Patrick Sandoval, uh, one, of the, one of the starting pitchers from the Angels who pitches for Team Mexico. Uh, I'll tell you that the cool thing about watching the games, and the games you know, have drawn huge crowds in certain markets, you know, 49,000 in Tokyo, average. Mm-hmm. average. Uh, Miami, which doesn't support the Marlins, and you'd think that'd be a great, <laughs> great baseball yeah, area. Right. Miami's 41,000 per game for the WBC games. Because all the Latin Americans who Mm -hmm. live in South Florida have come to be part of it. And it's festive. And it's, geez, John, it's it's like World Cup soccer. You know, the fans are loud. There's music and mariachis. And they're drinking and they're eating and they're cheering and they're booing. And it's almost like they're singing soccer songs during the course of the game. It's just, it's a fascinating atmosphere. It'll be even better when they move it to around the All-Star Week. Yeah. You know, I was at the game at Petco 2017 when the USA played the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Took my son and some of his buddies. Boy, that was a lot of fun. I mean, there, you hear the drums banging, the horns blowing, the bells ringing. And the game itself was like, gee whiz, it was like an All-Star game between the two sides. That was the game that had that Adam Jones catch of Manny Machado over mm-hmm. the fence. I mean, and I think even, uh, uh, who's the other guy that uh, is on the Yankees now, the big strong guy, hit the home run right into the Western Metal Supply Building. I mean, so that was a fabulous. So good for Miami to enjoy this. I'm rooting for Mexico tonight. You know, our brothers uh, to the south. Japan's got to be heavily favored, but I'm hoping the Mexicans can pull this one through. Let's move on. Last free agent, name free agent, has finally signed a contract. This is weird. Uh, Colorado Rockies have been shredded by injuries in spring training. They're not going to have a good season. They decide to sign Jerickson Profar, the former Padres starting left fielder and before that super utility man, to a one-year contract. 
And this didn't work out for this guy. I don't understand why this guy handled his business the way he did, but maybe we should blame the agent Scott Boros. Profar made $7.5 million last year. He was on a multi-year deal. He had an option to go to eight point five if he stayed. Either he decided or Scott Boros said, oh, no, we'll take you out on the open market. We'll get you a bigger payday. The rumor was they were asking for a bump from 7.5 to 15 Never got an offer. Never made a visit. Then the, they took the price down to 10 Still unemployed. Wow. And now the last place Rockies sign him. And it would, what's he going to do? Work in a library? Deliver groceries? Or are you going to play left field for the Rockies or destitute? Mm-hmm. So he signs a contract. I think the total value is 7-5. He could have been here for 8-5. He could have parlayed that into another really good season. And he would have been on a potential World Series team. Instead, he's making lesser money playing on a really bad Rockies team that's going to finish in last place. I think bad baseball decision. And and A.J. Preller wanted to keep him, but he was not paying the guy 15. Surely not going to pay him 10. And as good and vibrant a player as he was, he he only hit 248 last season. Though he played a mystical left field defensively. He found a home. Why would you screw this up and make the decision you made? Just made a mistake. Yeah, it, 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 it was interesting how it lasted so long. And I think we were all kind of rooting for him to get a contract because we love his 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 uh, energy and, and the way he plays the game. But really, I mean, you look at it from the Padres' perspective, I mean, he wouldn't start in the outfield for the Padres. He wouldn't start in the infield. Frankly, I don't even know if he makes the roster as a utility guy because guys like Azokar are having a hell of a spring training. So from the Padres' perspective, they made the right move, you know, not trying to woo him back. But I think there were rumors that Profar was going to go to the Yankees, maybe to the Orioles. None of those things worked out. So we'll see what happens in, uh, in Colorado. He'll be here for opening day when the Padres uh, get started. On we go. In a minute, we're going to talk NFL football in the final segment. Uh, explain again fans forum, John. Explain why they should subscribe to all the things we do. Okay. Why should you subscribe? If you do, if you subscribe of our YouTube channel, you'll not only get alerts You know when we do these live streams every Monday and Thursday, but we also are delivering bonus video clips that come throughout the day. Um, not only segments of the live stream, but some of the additional things that we're capturing with Hacksaw's take on a variety of other topics that we do outside the scope of the live stream. So subscribe on YouTube, click on the bell, you'll get the updates and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast uh, to get Hacksaw's headlines um, on your phone twice a week. And go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Check out all the written content and my one man's opinion column that I write every day. That's LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And by the way, when you punch up our podcast, give us a thumbs up. Let's talk (laughs) NFL football, John. Okay, yeah. So the Cowboys are, are making some moves here. Um, you, is, is this all sort of jockeying for position as we get closer to the NFL draft? Well, Dallas obviously had big issues with the salary cap. They restructured a whole pile of contracts, and they released Ezekiel Elliott. So they cleared some room to make deals. Now, because Dallas has been pretty good, their number one draft pick is at the back end of the first round. Historically, they've drafted very, very well. Uh, they made two trades. One is they traded a draft pick to the hapless Colts for Pro Bowl cornerback Stephon Gilmore. They've been very young in the secondary, and it's been one of the deficient areas, and some of their young guys have gotten hurt. So Gilmore comes, ex-Buffalo Bill, former Indianapolis Colt. He'll bring leadership. He's a physical player. 
back there on the corner, and they got him for a fifth-round pick. And then the surprise, they, they gave up a fifth and a sixth to Houston to get Brandon Cooks. Uh, and Cooks has been unbelievably productive. He's a career average 13.7 yards per catch. So you bring Brandon Cooks, who's kind of a sleek runner, and put him on one side with C.D. Lamb, the burner, and the other third receiver, the kid that was out of Colorado State that had a good year and then had knee injuries and took him a while to come back, Michael Gallup. So you got those guys, and they, they still got a tight end they have to find if they don't bring back Dalton Schultz. But suddenly you're giving Dak Prescott weapons. Yeah. And Brandon, Brandon Cooks is dangerous. Now, I, there's something amiss in the course of his career. He's been traded four times, uh, but he was in a wretched situation uh, with the Houston Texans who had no offense at all. And he keeps getting moved around from city to city. But, hey, I'd run past patterns if Dak Prescott was throwing the ball. <laughs> and they, they've got, boy, that's a lot of firepower there in Dallas. So it's it's interesting. You may not like Jerry. You may not like Jerry Jones. <laughs> Uh, and they haven't won bleep in a long time right. in terms of being in the Super Bowl and all that. But I tell you what, he paces players well. Somehow he and Stephen Jones have figured how to handle the salary cap every year. They constantly have to rearrange players' contracts to get below the cap again. Uh, and they've drafted well. I mean, you go you go look at their offensive line. Those are all their draft picks. And those those guys are first-round picks like Tyron Smith to young young bucks like Zach Martin and, and uh, the other kid from Tulsa, Smith. First, second, third, fourth rounds. They've drafted really well. So they have a good football organization, even if you don't like Jarrah. <laughs> well, what is the reason that the Cowboys have never been able to get breakthrough in the playoffs is it an offense problem is it a defense problem i mean what is it might be coaching uh, that that seems to be the, the the sentiment of all the people that i interact with is well who's the next cowboys coach that's going on the clock is on the endangered species list this year it's mike mccarthy uh but i give i give jerry jones credit they pour a lot of money into the operation. They have drafted really, really well, and I think they're really close to being really good again. They had one of the best defenses in the league last year with a ton of injuries, too, and yet they were almost there right at the end. Okay, next question, final question, football, before okay. we get the fans formed. I mean, you I know you showed me um, last week where you have a running tally of all the different transactions and who's been signed. So there's been a bunch more free agents that have been uh, claimed by some of these teams. First six days of NFL free agency, 145 players changed teams. On top of that, there were five significant trades, too. Uh, over the weekend, uh, the, the latest to leave, and I don't understand why the Chargers let this guy go out the door, Drew Tranquil, who had really developed in two and a half years to be in a trustworthy, astute academic linebacker with speed. They let him go to Kansas City. They replaced him with Eric Kendricks, 31 years old, had a really good career in Minnesota Vikings, but his career might be behind him. So Tranquil jumps ship and stays in the division. I was a little surprised at that one. Uh, the latest one, Detroit. Detroit's had a really good offseason. I think a lot of people want to go play for Dan Campbell. They looked at what the, the Lions have become in just two short seasons. C.J. Johnson is the latest Philadelphia Eagle to leave the 215 area code. He had a really good season for the Eagles. He's going to go be a starter uh, there for Dan Campbell in Detroit. Oh, the Patriots. Uh, this guy's this guy can contribute. I don't understand Miami's thinking to let him go, but Mike Gusecki, uh pass, route running, tight end, 
goes into New England, and they'll throw to him, and they throw to Hunter Henry, the former Charger tight end. So Belichick has had an interesting offseason with some of the acquisitions that he's made. Carolina really busy. Not only a week ago, we spent all this time talking about them trading up for the number one pick in the draft to get the quarterback, whoever it might be, that they want. They go into the marketplace, and they they get Miles Sanders, a 1,200-yard rusher, Philadelphia Eagles. He's a straight-ahead guy, but they don't have a running back because they lost Don to Foreman, and of course they traded Christian McCaffrey away. So this guy who can catch passes out of the backfield, I think Miles Sanders is going to help him. They also just signed uh, Hayden Hurst, pretty productive tight end Cincinnati and Baltimore. And then they just signed Adam Thielen, who's got like 590 reception in his career with the Minnesota Vikings as a route runner. So Frank Reich is putting some people in place here that I think are going to be pretty good for Carolina. Cleveland got one uh, uh, Thornwell, uh, safety, who's really developed into a pretty good player. He jumps from Kansas City to go to the Cleveland Browns to fortify their back end. Arizona Cardinals pick up Eagles starting linebacker Kaiser White, the ex-charger. Again, these guys are leaving Philadelphia. Why would you leave a Super Bowl team to go somewhere else that doesn't have a history of success recently? Or maybe Philadelphia, just they couldn't pay everybody. But, boy, they've let a lot of guys uh, jump off the board. And the Steelers picked up a, another guy from the Eagles. Uh, he's, I think he's a very good offensive guard. That's not a sexy position. But Isaiah Ciamulo is kind of a, a warrior-type Steeler offensive lineman. So those are the names that have exploded just over the weekend. And like I say, 145 free agents had already signed. Uh, we've had five trades, including a bit of a controversial Raider trade with the New York Giants, moving the star tight end, Darren Waller. I don't understand anything that's going on in Las Vegas. Aside from the Jimmy Garoppolo acquisition, I don't understand anything that's happening in Las Vegas. So, boy, a ton of movement around the National Football League. Yeah, so if you were to look across the league, all 32 teams, there's been all this change. I mean, which teams do you think get an A grade for this offseason? Which ones have improved the most? That's a topic we'll probably talk about on Thursday. Uh, it's just I just have not had enough hours to, to do <laughs> a letter grade yet. If you know the guy with the patent for the 36-hour day, <laughs> give me his phone number. Uh, it's just, it's been amazing, the turnaround uh, around the league. And it's been amazing, the marquee teams, Kansas City's taken hits, Philadelphia's taken hits, San Francisco's taken a huge number of hits, number of players that these teams have lost. But Thursday, uh, in addition to March Madness, we'll talk a little bit about the NFL and, and try to rate Uh, where the free agents have gone, who's done the best job, the worst job at the table. Okay, is it time for your favorite segment? (laughs) Yes, it is. It's time for Fans Forum. So uh, we got some people here uh, that have jumped in on the Fans Forum. And, of course, we got some YouTube comments. So let's take a look and see what we've got here. And this is from Ryan Kennedy. And he says, I'm wondering, with the Diaz and Altuve injury, if the World Baseball Classic might be in future jeopardy as far as the level of talent competing. No, not at all. I think it's a future marketing gem. It's a bonanza. Just has to be scheduled, Ryan, in the right time frame. And I think that's at the All-Star break. And you expand the time off at the All-Star break, which would be great for everybody's roster because everybody will take a deep breath and kind of recharge their battery. And the stars will come play. And if you just 
do it the way I structured it because I am bleeping brilliant. If you just run four teams in there and they play each other and then you play a championship game on Friday, you do the all-star game on Sunday night, I think it would be, it'd be a bonanza for baseball globally. It would sell the game. I mean, can you imagine Team USA, Mexico? Can you imagine Japan, Pacific Rim, Korea, Taiwan versus Latin America, which would be Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, where baseball is your soul, Colombia, Venezuela. That's the way I think to structure it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a terrific opportunity. This could be like another World Cup. And it is kind of a farce how we call it the World Series, right? And it's really not a World Series. This is, and that's what makes the WBC so great. And it's great to see these players take such pride in how they're playing. But doesn't it seem to you like the American team is the only team that's really not having fun? They're working hard at it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more emotion, I think, abroad. I think, you know, I've, I've been in the Tokyo Dome, and that place is electric, and the fans just buy into it, and that impacts the game. And obviously what, what we've seen uh, in, in Miami is it's it's like a summer samba. It's like Mardi Gras. It's, it's just so cool. And, you know, I covered the 2017 WBC games here at Petco Park. And I was very impressed with the turnout, and there's just a, there's the unique electricity through there. So... I hope they'll reconfigure it there. Next question. Moving on. All right. So this is a question from Body by Billy. He says, you think San Diego State has a legit chance to upset the country this week versus (laughs) Bama? Defensively, they need to be on point. Well, defensively, they'll give it everything they've got. But the Aztecs bigs, led by Nathan Mensah and Jaden Ledee, have never played anybody with the bigs that Alabama has. And Alabama goes seven foot, six ten, six nine across the front line, and they have the player of the year in college basketball and Brandon Miller, and they have a really productive young point guard. This will be hard. But you know what? The way you play the day you play changes the game. I there'd be a huge challenge with the referees. Are you gonna start calling fouls? Because they've let these teams bang on each other and play. But you got two teams of bigs that I have no doubt are going to bang on each other. Uh, is, there a, is there a chance? Yeah, anything is possible, especially if your big men get in foul trouble. But anything is possible that this could be really bad if San Diego State's big men get in foul trouble. We'll talk more about that on Thursday. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for the Aztecs. And then, you know, if you want to just think a little bit long term, if they're able to get over the hump on Alabama, who's waiting for them? Probably Creighton. So that would be an opportunity to kind of get a little revenge from last year. But yeah, Alabama's going to be tough. They have a, one of the top five defenses as well. So I think defensively we'll hold our, our mark. The question is, is we'll be able to score. Yeah. And of course, you got UCLA Gonzaga, which bears watching. That will be a fun game uh, for supremacy on the West Coast. And then you got Arkansas UConn, which will be frantic and take no prisoner basketball. So we'll preview all that come Thursday. Okay, so let's move on. We've got some good YouTube comments. This is from from REM, from REM. He, and he says, he's talking about the uh, Austin Eckler potentially being traded. You guys are forgetting what happened in the second half meltdown against the Jags. They couldn't run the ball to save their lives. They need to get away from these midget backs. Trade for Henry or draft Robinson from Texas University. Well, I, I like the running back from the Texas Longhorns because that's big body long strider. Problem is, he's maybe a top 15 to top 10 choice. 
what kind of price do you have to pay to trade from 23 to trade up to get access to get him? Running backs are not valued as much anymore in the National Football League, at least in this current day and age. Uh, You make the phone call and you find out. But if they come back and say, John, you want Robinson from Texas? Give me your one, give me your two can't do that that's that's too steep a price to pay you know the other thing is do you have enough offensive linemen that actually run block really well or is there a psyche with the chargers that everything is pass block to protect justin herbert and you got to play to the strength and the strength is the rifle arm quarterback there's nothing wrong with eckler eckler has been unbelievably productive you know he's got 7700 yards all purpose yards and all those touchdowns in about a five and a half year span playing behind a really poor offensive line um this is not Eckler's fault. Eckler needs to be compensated, needs to be taken care of. And if they trade him away, they're chopping out a piece of the heart of the roster. They're taking away a huge chunk of that offense. I hope they don't do it. I hope they're not stupid. But those are the guys that have authored the words chargering. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how they're going to make the math work and how you get all these guys under the cap. But I guess we'll find out soon. We've got another football question here. Fire Lee. away. Fire away. So this is talking about the NFL free agent defections. And this Philly fan jumped in and he had something to say. His name's Raymond Fields. He says, the Eagles have absolutely not been decimated by departures. Replacing Edwards with Dean was planned. They all had another, they had another backer. Hargrave will be replaced by Milton Williams. Williams' numbers first two years of his career are better than Hargrave's first two years. Joseph and Sue were mid-season signings that will have similar type players available. They also knew they were losing Isaac and kicking Jurgens over. Eagles are in great shape. Philadelphia Ray, you could argue with me, but I think it'd be wrong. Hargrove <laughs> was a difference maker, you know, and they re-signed Fletcher Cox, deservedly so, and obviously they still have the young kid from Alabama, Jordan Davis, they hope is a second-year guy, is going to take a step forward. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of guys that have now been scratched off that roster on the defensive side of the football, and as a, as a group, collectively, that was a pretty good defense because they all contributed. They all made different plays. Uh, we'll find out what kind of damage has been done here. But, boy, I was amazed at how many guys have gotten away from Philadelphia. But much like I said, how many guys got away from Kansas City? How many guys left the San Francisco 49ers? Harry Roseman's done a good job. He's built that thing. But, boy, I just don't think. I mean, Hargrove, I think, was a key component of toughness in that wide-body defensive front. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles, yeah, they, they, they won the championship. It's interesting to see these guys leave. Another YouTube commenter mentioned that the, he thinks the Niners have as many as 12 defections now. So uh, these teams are scrambling for talent. Well, San Francisco has they've got a different philosophy under the general manager, John Lynch. They've rented a lot of veterans, and then those guys leave. And they don't replace them. They're drafting young guys. And what they do is guys leave. And if you don't sign a bunch of free agents to replace your defecting free agents, you get draft pick compensation. San Francisco was just given seven comp draft picks Wow! for all the guys they lost last offseason. So that's seven additional picks, a whole pile of them at the end of the third round. You can find players in the third and fourth and fifth rounds who are real good players. So San Francisco is operating a little bit different philosophy of we'll use them, we'll rent them. If they leave, we'll stockpile more free agents in the front door, but we're going to get draft pick compensation for these guys who go other places. It's, right. it's an interesting way of doing business. have never heard that enunciated by any other general manager about 
hey, maybe this might be the way to do it. <laughs> well, let's go on here. I mean, there's a lot of excitement here still for the Aztecs. This is from Lisa Cruz, and I think she must have written this before the games this week. Aztecs are going to reach the Sweet 16 by beating Charleston and Furman, and then we become giant killers when we beat Alabama to reach the Elite Eight. Go Aztecs, positive vibrations. Nothing wrong with being positive. I'm a little bit of realist here along the way, too, but... Think about Brian Dutcher, what he's done. His career record at San Diego State is 148 and 46. Obviously, all the things they've done uh, in in the regular season, the Mountain West is now by, augmented by their back-to-back victories this week. They're really sending a message to the country. We're big. We play tough defense. We run the floor. I think there's intangible things that nobody talks about, not in San Diego, and obviously nobody at the network level because they're not paying attention to these guys. Good coach, good program, good players – good student athletes. They mm. don't get guys in trouble. And they're getting guys graduated. You know, I spent time with Nathan Mensah as the season started. He's a graduate student. He's graduating in with only one year, within one year window to get his master's degree. You know, these are kids whose focus is university, academics, playing basketball and doing well, and then going on to do something next, whether that next is trying to make the NBA or going abroad to play in Europe or going into the business world. It's just a really unique collection of kids uh, that that Dutcher has put in place and prior to that what Steve Fisher did. It's you know, you can take a ton of transfers, but it doesn't mean it's all gonna work. And you gotta be very careful with transfers because some of them are bad citizens and there's reasons guys have been at three schools and suddenly show up on your campus. You know, a prime example is what happened up in Laramie at Wyoming. They got three transfers from the Pac-12. They thought were going to be players. And Wyoming's done a good job. That's a tough place because it's so remote, and I don't think they have the NIL-type money. And they came in, and that new coach who had come in there a year ago did a good job, then had to replace guys who left. He went and got three Pac-12 transfers, and they all turned out to be, quote, questionable characters. He booted them off the team at midseason. So you got to be very careful. That's not been a problem with San Diego State. That's a good coach. They've gotten a good leader. Yeah, and they, they recruit a certain type of athlete. You know, they go for high character guys. They go for gym rats. They go for guys that believe in the program, doing the work, that are willing to give up a little bit of their ego in order to win the game. And that's special. And it's a unique strategy that Dutcher and his team have put together. But talking about these high character guys, I mean, how about a Gweka rope? I mean, that kid is not only, you know, been battling through all of his injuries. He has got, he just recently got his citizenship in the United States. He's probably not going to play basketball after, you know, this tournament is over. But that's a guy that, you know, if you're a, a company, uh, an HR manager in a company, you're recruiting talent, you're talented young guys. That's a guy you want to hire because he's got the drive, the discipline, and he's got the right frame of mind to be successful. He's special. I think he's the most underrated player I may have seen in the history of modern day Aztec basketball. You look at his contributions and the role he has and what he's accomplished and how he's changed games. That's a special kid. Yeah. I'm not talking about somebody that's going to win the Naismith Award, but we're talking about a guy that's a key contributor that changes the chemistry of games when they've said, go do this or go do that. I need you to back up this guy. Phenomenal story, really. And so you take guys like a rope and you add in who Mensa is as a person, not just Mm -hmm. as a player. 
I mean, it, it's just fascinating to me. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our bonus podcast. We're here most every Monday. Our regular podcast is on Thursday. Please subscribe so you'll get all the alerts when we're coming back in with all the new stuff that we make available on our YouTube channel. And go to my own website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, to read all my written content day in, day out. And I want you to tweet, text, email, and hit your friends up on Facebook. Introduce them to what we do on LeeHacksawHamilton.com. John, we'll see you come Thursday. Looking forward to March Madness. Go Aztecs. On we go. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Have a great day. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.